Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Ezekiel, that you may know the Lord, and we are in Unit 11. I will be going over Lessons 3 and 4, starting on page 226, and we are still considering great expectations, and in this lesson, we will look at sacrifices to the Savior. My lecture will also be on this topic in my class. At the bottom of page 226, in the middle of the italicized paragraph, it says, The previous lesson should have highlighted the truth from Scripture that the Millennial Temple will have an altar on which sacrifices and offerings will be made to the Lord. That's just a statement to get you going. At the top of page 227, we looked at Ezekiel 43, and we needed to read it again in this lesson to gain the proper perspective and context for our consideration of the reason for sacrifices during the Millennial Kingdom. So this is really giving us what I understand to be the ultimate reason that sacrifices are being made. So I'll talk more about that after we um, observe what is said in Ezekiel 43, 1 through 12. What does the Lord declare in verse 7? He says, this is the place of my throne where I will dwell in the midst of Israel forever and the house of Israel will no longer defile my holy name. So we are really trying to get in our head that the uh, holiness of the manifest presence, the real presence of Yahweh, our holy God, will be there in the midst of Israel. And they are Israel is not supposed to defile his holy name. Oh, <laughs> leads us to the next question. What does he, the Lord, review in verses 8 and 9? There was a discussion of how Israel did defile God's holy name in the past with their abominations and harlotry. So we have a contrast going on. They did it, and now he's going to be there in their midst, and they're not going to do it anymore. Moving on, look very closely at Ezekiel 43, 10 and 11. What cause and effect relationships do you see explained in these verses? Look for words such as that, so... If I have about three, the first one is um, describe the temple so that they will be ashamed of their iniquities. You don't have to understand that. I'm not even going to try to explain it, but in, um, well, I'm not. Describe the temple so that they will be ashamed of their iniquities. And then if they are ashamed, then make known to them the design of the temple and make known the statutes and laws, write them down so that they may observe laws and carry them out. Okay, I was going to try not to talk about this, but um, 
when the nation of Israel is repentant towards the Lord, which they will be when Jesus comes back, they will be in a place of having repented of their sins, then then they will know the design of the temple and they will then observe the laws and carry them out. And then I ask you a question. What verbs do you observe in these two verses? I captured from probably the ESV the verbs described, be ashamed, measure, if ashamed, make known, and that they may observe. List the phrases in Ezekiel 43, 10 and 11 that require that include the repeated idea of all. So they are um, in 11, and I didn't write all the verse numbers down. Well, it's all in 10 and 11. Ashamed of all they have done. Make known the whole design, or it could have been all the design. Um, Make known all its statutes, all its laws, and all its statutes repeatedly. So we've been going through an exercise of really just observing things, like reading. What does it say? And now I've asked you to think about that. How would you summarize the desire of the Lord for his people according to the observations you've just made? And mine is pretty brief. I said, no more sin and idolatry. That's what we capture from those first two questions at the top of the page. Um, And there will be pure holy worship, and devotion to the Lord at his temple. Um, So we've seen that they will observe his laws, and uh, they'll know them and they'll do them. And now we're at the bottom of the page. Isn't that what the Lord desired from the very beginning? What did you observe from these following verses? You could call on people, I think, to answer these questions. Exodus 24, 3 and 4. Moses told the people all the words of the Lord, and the people said, We will do all the Lord said. They were so confident in themselves, but they couldn't do it. Numbers 28, 2. Israel was commanded to offer all offerings at the appointed time. Um, okay, so I think that's all of that verse. And then Deuteronomy 4, 39 and 40. The Lord is God in heaven. You shall therefore keep his statutes that it may go well with you, your children, and you may prolong your days in the land. So they had said they would do everything the Lord told them to do. I gave you Numbers 28 too, just to highlight that it was a command to offer all their offerings at the appointed time. They did not do it. Turn the page, please, 228 at the top. We read Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 10. This is the Lord's very own prophecy of what we are studying in Ezekiel. How does Deuteronomy 38 relate to Ezekiel 43, 10 through 12? I said, uh, just a summary, I think. You will again obey the voice of the Lord. Again, you will, like a you will obey him. You're, you're not going to, but then you will in the millennial kingdom. In the millennial kingdom, Israel will keep the statutes and they will obey the Lord. 
they had a a pretty good start not a not a perfect start in the wilderness but they were um obeying and sacrificing more regularly and then they really fell off and fell away when they got into the um the kingdom after solomon and the split kingdom and things went so badly well now's a good time to reflect on what you tell the lord you will do why couldn't the israelites keep the commands of the lord why not sin nature they weren't filled with the holy spirit No one can do God's will without His Spirit strengthening them to do it. They were supposed to walk by faith. And um, some obeyed faithfully. But as a whole, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out. So as a whole, the house of Israel went astray. Do you think you are able to obey the Lord? Why or why not? And this question might have made some people squirm, but if you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit in you and you are able to obey the Lord. And I know I've given some um, teachings about that (laughs) along the way, even this year. Just think about Ezekiel 36. I mean, if you're a Christian, you're, you're only a Christian if you have the Holy Spirit. And so how are you able to obey the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit in you and by denying sin and selfishness? So, yes, you can. Yes, you are able. The question is, will you do it? Ask someone to share the truth of Galatians 2.20 that is probably written out. And... um, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that truth never grows old. Christ alone is our strength, he is our life, and without him we can do nothing. And now we're going to consider the altar and the instructions, the measurements, the details. This is for consecrating the altar. You were to read Ezekiel 43, 18 through 27. Who is involved in the consecration of the altar? This word of instruction is spoken specifically to Ezekiel. And the Levitical priests who are the sons of Zadok will also be involved. But Ezekiel is the one to take action And I have looked at the language, I've looked at the pronouns, and these are, uh, it's a singular pronoun, you. So the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel, telling Ezekiel what to do. So uh, this looks to me like resurrected Ezekiel is going to be involved in the consecration of the altar. How long does the consecration last? Seven days and briefly describe the actions that are to be taken. The first action that I have is from verses 19 and 20. A bull is taken uh, for a sin offering. The blood's put on the four horns of the altar, the ledge, the rim. And um, I think that also includes burning the bull outside the sacred area. Um, unless I merge that. and Because I... <laughs> My answer is a little bit written all over the place here. The second action is from verse 22. 
and a sin offering is to be made with a male goat to purify the altar. And from verse 23, a bull and a ram are given as a burnt offering to the Lord. So um, this, you have a sin offering of a bull first, and then you have a sin offering of a goat. And both of those are like your very the very first actions. And um, then the bull and the ram as the burnt offering, that's different. The burnt offering gets completely burned up. <clears throat> and the third action is that for seven days in a row, the goat and the bull and the ram are, are made every day for the sin offering. So God's got a plan and a system for what he's doing. There are very clear instructions here of what to do. Then, what are the reasons for the consecration of the altar according to Ezekiel 43, 26, and 27? I also noted from verse 20. Verse 20 says to purify the altar and make atonement for it. Verse 26 says, For seven days you will make atonement for the altar to cleanse it and consecrate it. And verse 27 says, On the eighth day and forward, the priest will make a regular offering, regularly offer the burnt offering and the peace offering, and the Lord will accept you. So from the eighth day and forward, the eighth day, everything's ready and they're making their... Um, their regular offerings. The eighth day is not a day of consecrating. It's not a day of getting the altar ready. So in verse 20, where it says, purify the altar and make atonement, and verse 26, make atonement for the altar. This is not an atonement as in salvation that Jesus provided, but it is an atonement for uh, ritual purification, ceremonial purification, because the people, except for resurrected Ezekiel, the people that are performing these acts are in sin, their sin natures. So they're, they're mortals with a sin nature. And that sin has to have this ceremonial, there has to be a recognition that people are sinful and they must be cleansed in a, um, outward way to be in the holy presence of the Lord. So now you looked up the definition for the following word, accepted. The Hebrew word is ratzah, and it means to be pleased with, to be favorable toward, to accept. And that word is used in verses that I gave you at the top of page 229. And what did you learn from Ezekiel 20, 40 and 41? I think this is a really cool verse. It's like totally pointing to everything that's going on in the um, chapters 40 through 48. On my holy mountain, on Israel's high mountain, the entire house of Israel, entire house, that's all 12 tribes. All of them will serve me in the land. There on the, my holy mountain in Israel, I will accept them and will require your contributions and choices, gifts, all your holy offerings. So he has already prophesied 
um, or the Lord has said through Ezekiel that it, um, the whole house of Israel is going to come make offerings to the Lord again. Um, and when will that happen? When I bring you from the peoples where you have been scattered, I will accept you as a pleasing aroma, and I will demonstrate my holiness through you in the sight of nations. And that is really amazing, too. I'm going to come back to that. Isaiah 40, verse 2, Ratzah is translated as pardoned. In the ESV, it says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. So she's accepted because her iniquity has been pardoned. And she has received double from the Lord for her sins. Um, she received double judgment for her sins. Now I ask the summary question. How would you summarize the reason for sacrifices being a part of worship in the Millennial Temple based on what we've studied today? There's not anything that we have highlighted that hints that they are memorials. Um, I know that's the that's a go-to answer that a lot of people and a lot of commentators have for these, but nothing here has mentioned a memorial. Um, they, they may be used that way, but it hasn't been in our text that we've been reading. So my answer is, from the earliest days, God commanded offerings, and Israel could not obey the Lord without their new heart, without a new heart. The offerings show that when they're made, they the Lord says he accepts them. So the offerings show acceptance by the Lord. And then in Ezekiel 20, verse 41, I mentioned this. The offerings demonstrate the holiness of God to the nations around the world. And this is something that is really hard for us to wrap our minds around because we just don't have any practice that holds something um, physically in this type of tangible, spiritual, spiritually tangible thing um, where I'll, all I can do is say ceremonial purification. And it's the, the um, person of a sin nature in the presence of sinless, glorified Jesus and the manifested glory of God in on earth where and he's in Jerusalem at his throne. There's just really hardly anything that would be a way to give an example of this. But I keep thinking about the Japanese culture where they take their shoes off before they go in the house. And um, you do it. It's the right thing to do. It's what you do. So uh, is there, I mean, we can understand, keep that from bringing some dirt into the house, but um, why do they do that? That's, that's what they do. And this is what God is putting forward as a way to show that he is holy and man is not holy and there's got to be something that allows for a sinful man to be in the presence of holy God. 
There will be a dynamic that exists on the earth at that time that does not exist in this moment right now. And it's different from, it's just a different time period from right after, well, during Jesus' time walking on the earth and even after his resurrection. And the reason it's different is because the manifest glory of the Lord will be on the earth as well. I'm trying to give some explanation now. Again, I'm going to talk about all this more in my lecture. So if you're not attending my class, I would recommend that you find that um, the Lord of the Sacrifice is going to be the name of that lecture. In the middle of page 229, after the verse, it says, Immediately following his teaching on the Lord's relationship with his people Israel, uh, just after Paul's great praise to the Lord, Paul says to the Roman believers, therefore. So therefore what? Um, just think about it. The, the Lord's relationship with his people Israel and great praise. And therefore, what are we to do? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is a good, pleasing, perfect will of God. And we ended this lesson thinking about what sacrifice you will offer the Lord today. We are not told to offer a physical um, animal sacrifice but we ourselves are the physical sacrifices. So that's the situation of this day and age. How do you do that? What is your sacrifice? And this question prompted me to think about and really remember, nothing is really mine to begin with. <laughs> um, whatever I am giving the Lord, I am returning what he has already given me. It is only my selfishness that makes me think something is mine and might make it feel like a sacrifice that I'm giving or giving up or not getting. And that just actually even shows, it shows the sin nature <laughs> that um, is hanging around me even now. Which isn't funny, but uh, I'm just remembering that. So... Um, we give ourselves to the Lord. We're all his. We belong to him. And that will end our discussion. Oh, sorry. That ends our discussion about sacrifices. I thought I was all done. I'm not. There's a whole nother lesson. So pay attention to your time, uh, especially if this one causes a lot of discussion. There's a, another lesson to go through, and it's pretty full as well. Lesson four, good and faithful servants. Can't believe I forgot because I really love Zadok. In this lesson, this is the last sentence of your first italicized paragraph, we will see that the Lord is also very clear about who will have the privilege of serving him and who will be allowed to enter his sanctuary. Leaders, one way you can save a little time is just to summarize the answer to that first question. What's the difference between these two passages um, What and the description of the Eastern Gateway? You can just talk about it. Um, the... First, we saw a bronze man entering the eastern gateway, the outer eastern gateway, brought Ezekiel in. And then in chapter 44, 
Ezekiel has shown that that outer eastern gateway is shut, always kept shut. And then you were to review again what happened in Ezekiel 43. It's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. We keep going back to it, and we really, I hope nobody's uh, getting tired of looking at this statement again. But my question is, what in Ezekiel 43, 1 through 4, 7 and 9, what occurred and what did the Lord declare? The glory of the Lord came from the east. The earth shone with his glory. Just think about the light. And the Lord said, this is the place of my throne. And he said in verse 9, let them, let Israel, put away their harlotry and I will dwell in their midst forever. So we looked carefully at Ezekiel 44 verse 2. It contains four phrases that emphasize one concept. Leaders, just share this. Just just tell them these four phrases are referring to the gate being shut. It's like the gate is shut. The gate is shut. It's going to remain shut. The gate is shut. Now ask the ladies, what is the importance of the eastern gate being shut? What's the importance of this? The Lord entered by it and it belongs to him. This is, um, oh, here's, here's how I wrote it. This, the Lord's glory entering through the gate, will be a monumental and in eternally important event. It must be, and we should think of it as being like the resurrection of Jesus, like the ascension of Jesus, like his, like, I mean, he's, going to come get us for rapture we're waiting for that that's huge and then he's going to return to earth these are these are monumental eternally significant events so is this when he enters through the eastern gateway once he enters he is not going to abandon israel ever again on page 231 leaders um Maybe you can read Ezekiel 44, 4 out loud because it will set the stage for the question. When was the last time that you were moved in such a way by the glory of the Lord? In worship at church last Sunday, thinking on Jesus and his love and his sacrifice. And then just, um, I didn't write a date down of any time, but there are times that I just... <gasps> have my breath taken away. I just gasp because I know the intimacy of the Lord. I see his answers to prayer. I understand directions that he's given me and and just uh, the personal connection with him. So the glory of the Lord. All right, we're moving on. In Ezekiel 44, 5 and 6, what was Ezekiel commanded to do? The Lord said to him, Mark well, see with your eyes, hear with your eyes, all that the Lord is going to tell him about, all about the statutes of the temple and its laws, the entrances and the exits, um, and that there will be no more abominations from Israel. Who may enter the house and who will go out from the sanctuary? The house and sanctuary meaning that main temple where the throne of 
Christ is inside. Um, who can go in and go out? According to Ezekiel 44, 6 through 8, what's the point of this passage? My summary, these are not, I mean, it's kind of Bible words, but it's not Bible verses. So my summary of this was <laughs> enough of the old sin and rebellion and disregard for the Lord's holiness. No more of that. No more profaning the Lord's temple. Israel did not keep charge of God's holy things in the past, and that's not the way things are going to be now in the future. So we have a little chart to just have a contrast between the Levites' past and the Levites' future. So ask one person to share what they've got about the Levites' past. I have... They went far from the Lord. They went astray from the Lord. They followed idols. These are the Levites, the priests. Um, they would bear. They will bear their punishment uh, for that. And they they followed idols. They were stumbling blocks of iniquity. And um, they're going to they're going to bear their shame, which is. Kind of the future. So the shame's in the past. The sin and the idolatry's in the past. It will affect their future. So there are two phrases that I'm saying that have a, <laughs> a future tense. They shall bear their punishment. They shall bear their shame. Those are future, future things. So that could be on the other side, on the future side. Someone else share. What, um, what about the Levites' future? They shall be ministers in the Lord's sanctuary. They will have oversight at the gates. They will slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people to minister to them. But they will not come near the Lord to serve him as priest, nor come near his holy things. Yet the Lord will appoint them to keep charge of the temple, to do all its service and all to be done in it. We don't really know every single little detail that will be managed at this future millennial temple. There are a lot of jobs and a lot of duties. So these Levites who are going to be bearing the shame of the past are not going to have the full privilege and responsibility that we're going to see about on the next page, 232. Um, in Ezekiel 44, 15 through 31, there were Levites who followed the Lord who will be honored and promoted. So very briefly describe who and what this passage is about. It's about the sons of Zadok, the descendants of Zadok. They did keep charge of the sanctuary in the past. The Zadokites, Zadok did and the Zadokites did, um, even when Israel went astray. So they will be able to enter the sanctuary and minister to the Lord. They will teach the people the difference between the holy and the common. They will act as judges and keep the laws and the feasts and the Sabbaths, and they won't defile anything. What repeated concept do you see in Ezekiel 40, 46, and 44, 15, and 16? The sons of Zadok, alone of the Levites, may come near the Lord to minister to him. And they're going to have a special chamber. 
For one example of the Levites in the past who didn't honor the Lord, read Numbers 16, 1 through 11. What was the privilege of the priests that they considered a small thing? Korah, who was a Kohathite, and he was a Levite. Korah was a Levite of a particular clan. They were separated from Israel to be near the Lord, to do the work of the tabernacle, and stand before the congregation. I explained this further in the paragraph below. The Kohathites would have transported the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, the very Ark of the Covenant. They, I think they might have even, I can't remember whether they got to go in and cover these items or uh, maybe like the high priest might have covered the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know about that either. How did that? It was covered. It wasn't just transported out in the open for everybody to see it. So these uh, furnishings were wrapped up. And that's what the Kohathites were supposed to transport as they moved through the wilderness. And they, they, didn't, they didn't like their job. They didn't think it was good enough. So I asked you to consider, and uh, you leaders can give the opportunity to people in your group and just ask them if anyone wants to share from this question, has the Lord given you a special assignment that you consider to be a small thing? Um, do you secretly desire the position that someone else holds? Please pray through these concerns and be sobered by the observation that even what you have been given may be taken away. That happened to the Levites, to the Kohathites. And for me, this moment, well, this whole thing about um, recognizing that it is a place of being near the Lord. That comes up. No. Well, that phrase, near. Oh, there it is. They'll, they will come near the Lord in Ezekiel 44, 15 and 16. And what, 40. 46. So whatever it is that the Lord calls us to do is something, whether it's big or small, it's something that he calls us to do and we come near him because we are dependent on him. We're dependent on his strength, his grace. We don't do it in our own strength is a privilege. And, um, and that's what we've got to know about every one of the callings and responsibilities ministries, um, services, spiritual gifts, talents, so whatever it is that God gives us to do um, in our family roles as well, whatever it is, a small thing, a little thing that nobody else sees you doing, it's a time to be near the Lord. And also, regarding small things, they add up. They make a difference. And it's a really a lot easier to do small things than big things. <laughs> so, uh, let us thank God for the small things that he invites us to do with him. He's the big thing, and we're the small thing. Okay, enough about that. The Zadokites were different from the Kohathites. What did they do that will cause them to receive an eternal reward? The Zadokites kept charge of the Lord's sanctuary when Israel went astray. They did not go astray as the Levites did. And then I took you back to see if you could learn about Zadok from the um, history books. 
First Chronicles 12, 23 and 28 tells us that David was out, people were coming to him, and these men who were equipped for war came to him. Zadok was a young man, a valiant warrior, and he was a Levite. That's actually in verse 26. And he came with 22 captains from his father's house. So Zadok, a Levite, came and joined David. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we see that um, David is setting up worship at the tabernacle in Gibeon. He left Asaph, the seer and writer of some psalms, and some others. And he left Zadok, the priest, and his brethren, the priests, at the tabernacle to offer sacrifices morning and afternoon, as they were commanded to do. So David put Zadok, uh, we don't really see how Zadok ended up being priest after having been a warrior, but he was. Oh, well, we're in the book of Ezekiel, and we learned from Ezekiel in the early days that um, men became priests at the age 30. So, still don't know how Zadok became well, he eventually became a high priest, I think. But I didn't make you track that down. But in 1 Kings one thirty nine, we see that Zadok the priest anointed Solomon as king. So he was important enough priest at that point in time. So Zadok was a priest during Solomon's reign. Zadok was a priest during David's reign and Solomon's reign. Have you heard of him before now? And um, he's, he's one of the great unsung heroes. Okay, at the top of page 233, describe the incredible privilege and reward that the Zedekites will receive according to Ezekiel 44, 16 and 28. They will enter the sanctuary, approach the Lord's table, minister to him, keep his charge. They will not have a possession in Israel because the Lord is their inheritance. He is their possession. Because we've been looking at Zadok and his faithfulness, we now consider our own faithfulness to what God has called us. What attitudes and motivations for your ministry, your obedience, your stewardship, your service to the Lord, what do you find in the following verses? 1 Timothy 1.12, Jesus has enabled me, counting me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That's what Paul understood. And we need to understand that too. He enables us for what he calls us to do. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. I wrote this in first person. Um, it was written as instructions to us. So I wrote it like this. I have received a spiritual gift to use in ministering to others. I am to be a good steward of the manifold grace of God. I am to serve with the ability God supplies that God may be glorified in all this through Jesus, through Jesus in me. And 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, I am to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing my labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so um, y'all can... Talk about whether these verses encouraged you and does the example of Zadok 
encourage you or convict you or leaders you can you know, open this up and see if anyone wants to comment and um, Ezekiel and the Zedekites isn't that beautiful that they are um, such examples I wonder if Ezekiel was a Zedekite bet he was I have to look into that I don't think we're going to know until we can ask him ourselves and one day we can going to be so fun and that brings us to the end of this lesson so uh, psalm 65 4 seems to be a good ending blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house of your holy temple what a delight it is going to be to watch the word of the lord come to pass before our eyes and going to happen in a lot of different ways, isn't it? Well, thanks again for your study, your faithfulness, your stewardship of what God has called you to do. I hope that this will be an encouraging lesson to you as you are serving the Lord and serving his ladies, his daughters. And I thank you so much because I can't do this by myself. You are so appreciated. That's all for now. Thank you.